0: The birth of a legend.
1: 458 is the total, out of which Bradman has made 309 not out. It's a world's record.
0: First ball in Test cricket in England for Shane Warne, And he's done it. He started off with the most beautiful delivery. Welcome to This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Here's your host, Sam Edmund.
2: Hello everybody, Sam Edmund here. With thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives, we're looking back on the best of your sporting life for 2020. Today, let's go back and revisit the journey of Collingwood Premiership player, Heath Shaw. Well, the Shaw surname is synonymous with VFL, AFL football, and today's guest is a big reason for that. Heath Shaw has played 325 games for Collingwood and Greater Western Sydney, 27 of them finals. As a dashing and damaging halfback, he's become a premiership player, a dual All-Australian and a best and fairest. From rat cunning on the field to Rat Pack member off it, Shaw sure had a roguish charm that occasionally got him into hot water. Heath, hope you don't mind me saying that. Hello, thanks for joining us.
1: Thanks for having me on, mate. And not at all. It's um, it's all part of uh, the history and it's all part of my, my footballing journey, I suppose.
2: What a journey it was. And I, uh, well, probably accidentally slipped into past tense there, but I shouldn't assume because that's not the case with you. I was going to ask you where things sit with you right now in terms of your, your immediate playing future after GWS obviously chose not to offer you another contract.
1: Um, yeah, it was a, it's an interesting one because it all sort of came about and um, obviously a few meetings with Leon and, and Jason McCartney towards um, the end of the year and... Um, whether I was going to play on or not and whether I wanted to and whether the club sort of wanted me to. And um, for me, it got to a point where obviously the season didn't finish the way that um, we would have liked or I would have liked. And um, I I sort of thought I wanted to to go around one more time and try and help the Giants get back to um, where I thought they deserved to be. And that's playing finals and and trying to win premierships. But um, obviously the, the Giants were going down a different path and um, decided not to offer me a contract. So it was weird. It's so like I didn't retire, but um, to be honest, um, I'm not sure too many clubs out there want a 34-year-old back pocket. Um, and I didn't really want to play with anyone else um, apart from the Giants. So the, the non-retiring part was sort of because I wanted to play for the Giants, but um, to be honest, I can't see myself playing um, anywhere else.
2: Yeah, okay. I was going to ask you the competitor in you obviously wanted to play on as you as you admit there, but I wondered now as we sit here and talk whether you hold out any is the optimist optimistic in you hold out any hope that an opportunity will present or are you pretty much resigned to the fact that it's uh, that it's done?
1: Um, I was very comfortable sort of either way whether I, I played on or I didn't. Um, to be brutally honest, and, and and the conversations me on me and Leon had throughout the year were, were pretty much um, that. But it just got to a point where. Um, the unique season that it was, and the unique situation that we found ourselves in in, in 2020, I, I wanted to go around again, and I thought I still had a bit, um, bit left there. But um, to be honest, yeah, I'm pretty, pretty comfortable in retirement. Although a few clubs have approached me, but they're from the, the Diamond Valley area, the Northern Football League <laughs> more so than the AFL. So, um, yeah, it's um, AFL level. I'm pretty resigned to the fact I can slide into, into, um, into the abyss, and um, yeah, I'm comfortable with how my career was and, and what I achieved.
2: I like the slight pause there for dramatic effect as well. Uh, appreciated at this end. And Heath, am I, am I right in saying that if the Giants had beaten Richmond in last year's grand final, that you would have happily sailed off into the sunset then and there?
1: Yeah, definitely. That was, that was, um, yeah, that was the ultimate dream and the, the, the ultimate ending um, to my career. Um, I wouldn't have been able to beat Uncle Tony's record, which I would have been a bit upset about, but um yeah, finishing off with the premiership would have been, would have been um, would've been ideal and, and obviously that didn't work out as well and, and that was the the reasoning behind playing again, um, this year. But um, it doesn't all, all fall your way and, and yeah, you just sort of deal with it and, and you move on and you move forward and, and football's a it's a very unique um, especially AFL football, it's a unique situation. It's a love-hate relationship you get with it and it just wants you coming back for more and more. And um, I think that was sort of the the temptation for me to go around again is because as much as you love and hate it, the the competitiveness in me and the the competitiveness of AFL football, um, it makes you want to come back and, and do it again. So um very comfortable not playing but I will definitely miss it So
2: on Grand final Day last year while you were still on the MCG is it right that the chief executive Dave Matthews there approached you on the ground and said mate you've just got to go around again
1: Yeah it was oh, obviously that was a, it was a tough pill to swallow sort of losing the way we did um, and and Dave sort of as I was sort of walking past him he said you can't you can't finish like this mate um, so that was something that was um, it was sort of good to hear after such a a bad day at the office, and um, I actually did the press conference after after the game. I was, I think, I was the only one that did it. That was spoke spoke to the media after that grand final, and I got asked that question straight away. And um, I said it was a pretty simple answer. I said if we win, <laughs> if we win, I'd retire, but we didn't win, so there was always a chance that I'd go around again. So uh, I'm glad I, I'm glad I did. I'm a unique character, I think, and I've um, finished on unique circumstances as well. So I'll take that every day of the week.
2: Yeah, I mean, it is crazy to think, though, isn't it, that you went up there seven years ago and in that time you've earned two All-Australian gongs, you played off in a grand final, like we said, and you've become a life member of a club that didn't even exist a decade ago.
1: Yeah, it is. And it's. Um, I suppose it's. it was one of the toughest decisions I've ever had to make. Probably the best decision I made um, to choose the Giants and, and to. I probably wouldn't have been able to map out the seven years that I've had up here and um, it couldn't have worked out any any better. It's, um, it's a tough... So the first couple of years was tough getting used to the um, not expecting to win every week, not expecting to play finals, um, but then how quickly we progressed into being finals contenders and playing off in grand finals and, and playing some pretty good football myself. Um, the seven years of the Giants has been more than enjoyable and um, I'm really appreciative of them giving me the opportunity. And then... I suppose um, being a part of history, in a club that was it's brand new, and, and each week we sort of created history um, in different ways. So it was um, it was a great it's a great club, and um, I'm wrapped right that I came up here.
2: We'll come back to that trade, but as far as current day goes, how damaging is the departure of Jeremy Cameron as a restricted free agent to the club?
1: Um, oh, damaging's a pretty tough word, but it's it's not ideal, and and I think um, in footy terms and it, it is hard that the, the free agency is obviously it's made there to. to it's, so you're loyal enough to be at a club for eight years, and then it might be the case where you want to go home. So I can understand the reasoning behind free agency, and you never want to see quality players like like Jeremy Cameron go. And and um, from the Giants' perspective, it's go home factors always been there, and, and probably always will because there's only a few guys on the list that are actually from um, New mm. South Wales. So it is it is tough, but. Um, and I think you look at it in, um, I suppose, in, in um, soccer terms, it's when Ronaldo left Real Madrid to go to Juventus, you've got to replace 50, 55 goals a year, which is pretty big. And so for the Giants, even though obviously Jeremy didn't have the, the best years of his career under tough circumstances um, and the club didn't have the best year, um, you've still got to replace in a normal season up to 50 goals. Um, which which is hard. And, and when you take away the number one forward, the number two forward gets the number one defender. So it's a, it's a balancing act. Um, and no doubt there'll be some guys that'll, that'll have to step up to the plate um, at the Giants come 2021.
2: So did the players suspect it, do you think, Heath, or, or would it have shocked them?
1: Um, oh, I think the longer it goes on. In most, in most cases, the longer it goes on, the more chance that they are actually leaving. Um, it's still a little bit of a shock to the system because he's obviously been a part of the furniture from, from day one, but um, everyone's got um, sort of different circumstances and, and different reasoning for for making decisions about their football and careers, and, and Jez has obviously got his reasons. So, yeah, you definitely don't um, don't knock the guy for making those decisions. It's, it's sad to see him go, and um, he's been such a pivotal part of um, the Giants. I think he's been leading goalkeeper every year since... He's, since um, Existence, so it is. It is someone that will be hard to replace. But um, no, the players, the players aren't, aren't filthy at him or dirty or at him about making that decision because um, it's his career and he does what's best for him.
2: Obviously, it's Jeremy Cameron, Zach Williams, Aiden Core, You know, Jackson Hately, Zach Langdon. There, there might be more to come. What does the club, in your opinion, need to do to? Try to keep a, a, a better hold on the players they have got, or will this, as you touched on earlier, just be the battle forever and a day?
1: Oh, I think it will be a battle um, year in year out. It's it's different circumstances. It's it's the Giants have had so much success and, and obviously had high draft picks and and quality players going through. So they're going to be there's there's players that are going to be tempted with better offers, better money each year, longer term deals to move. Um, there's a little bit of the. The nature of the, the draftees these um, these days, which are a little bit impatient, they don't want to wait two or three years to be playing senior footy. They want to be playing here and now, um, which is which is which is tough to sort of fathom. When it took me, I think three years to three or four years to um, cement a spot down uh, at when I played a few games at Williamstown, um, and it's sort of it's sort of that impatientness coming from um, draftees that they'll have to deal with and. And then it's the go home factor as well so it's it is a tough spot to be in and I think um, the club's done an amazing job to keep guys as long as they have and I know it's there's a few players that are leaving through um, free agency this year and, and choosing to go to other teams but it's 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 happened throughout the the time I've been at the um, at the Giants I think I'm one of only a few people that have actually been delisted from the Giants usually everyone's getting traded um, and finding a place somewhere else so it's it is a unique um, situation. It's a unique club, but that's what I think um, at times attracts people to actually come to the Giants at the same at the same time.
2: You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life. Thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals, a family-owned business since 1934. Next, Heath Shaw takes us back to the beginning. Childhood, getting drafted by Collingwood as a father-son, and life under Mick Malthouse at the Pies.
0: You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Sam Edmund for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Welcome back to This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives.
2: to have your company on This Is Your Sporting Life made possible by Tobin Brothers funeral Celebrating Lives. We're with Collywood and GWS great Heath Shaw. Well, Heath is the son of former Collingwood skipper Ray, the nephew of former Collingwood skipper Tony and ex-player Neville. What was childhood like out in Diamond Creek, in Melbourne's northeast for you?
1: Yeah, it was uh, It was definitely, I was uh, a part of a sporting family. Um, cricket in the summer and uh, footy in the winter. Um, and very competitive bunch of people and especially when you've got an older brother, you always want to beat your older brother. So um, for me, it was um, a lot about sport and a lot less about um, schoolwork, which my mum hated. Um, but yeah, love love getting outside and kicking the footy or, or playing cricket and um, yeah, it's pretty much what my childhood revolved around.
2: So you were born four years after I think your old man retired, but you were you were as old as nine I think when Tony hung up the boots. So did you have that grasp at that age of what the Shaw name meant to Collingwood?
1: Yeah, I, I did. Um, we used to me and my cousin Braden used to go to um, a lot of the games when Tony was coaching and and kick the footy in the in the rooms after the games and and get to meet all the the players there and um, it was a good experience, but in a way it was sort of normal for me Um, being, being around football clubs and um, obviously dad playing locally and coaching locally. I was um, always at the footy club, always at the footy oval um, kicking the ball around. So um, as I got older, I sort of understood more and more about, um, I suppose, that the Shaw name and and the achievements that um, obviously my old man and, and my uncle, uncles um, have had at that higher level, and then you appreciate it even more when, um, obviously, brother and and then you start playing at that level and play a few games and understand how how much of a, a journey I suppose it is to get to that top level, and then and then to to be um, like in Tony's Tony's eyes, play 300 games, win, win a grand final, and, and captain a grand final. You look at you're at the top level um, for a long period of time, and, and the journey it was to get to there, and then to achieve what he did, it's pretty big and it's pretty, um, it's pretty special for one family.
2: Yeah. So your journey, though, starts at Diamond Creek Footy Club. Am I right in saying there, heater that you played in four straight premierships at one point in time?
1: Yeah. Four premierships in a row. I think it was from under 10s, 10s, 11s, 12s, thirteen. Yeah, and I think that the good thing about those premierships, if, I'm, if I can remember correctly, we we were never favourite um, sort of going into a final series, I and mean, we were never favourites going into the grand final. So sort of the underdog tag each year in different ways. And yeah, back in Diamond Diamond Creek and, and Don Valley, we had a we had a pre- pretty successful team football and cricket. So it was like a good gr- group of blokes, and and um, obviously good some good memories down there. And I spent a bit of time in Diamond Creek, especially on the on the weekends, going to parties and and obviously playing footy and and cricket there as well. So it definitely holds a special place for me in my um, football and sporting career.
2: Now, I know this won't embarrass you and you'll embrace it, but weren't you best to field in all four of those grand finals as well, for good measure? <laughs>
1: I reckon I was three out of four probably not four out of four but but three out of four and yeah again it was it was a unique situation at one point I think I, I was playing center half forward and even did some ruck work when I was a I think it was under ten and then I made my way to um into to playing in the center and and the funny thing was I, I never played those divisions at all forward or in the midfield at AFL level so it, it, I've come I've come full circle and I think I'll blame Mick Mulhouse for that he's the, he's the one who put me to the half back flank and and said, you need to learn how to defend. So, um, and I never looked back.
2: So, you were taken by Collingwood under the father-son rule. It was a 2003 draft. I think four years after Reese was drafted uh, as a father-son as well. Were you hell bent on playing for Collingwood Heath, or would you have happily played anywhere?
1: Um, oh, I was pretty determined to play for Collingwood. Um, that's that's where I wanted to go. And as a supporter growing up, and um, the family name, so that's where I wanted to go. But if it come come down to it, and, and Collingwood didn't want me, which eventually they didn't, then I would have played anywhere because I just love my footy and. and and just wanted to be, I was a competitor and just wanted to play at the top level.
2: You've always been quick. You've always had good foot speed, despite what uh, the biomechanic experts would term an abnormal running gait and the rolling shoulders. And Was that something Collingwood tried to fix initially when you got there to, to straighten your posture? Maybe something they gave up on?
1: Yeah, we gave it a crack a few times. Um, I had a few injuries when I first got to Collingwood um, and obviously the <laughs> a few groin injuries and, and lower back and um, obviously that's the... The the thought that um, there was something definitely wrong with my running data, and that was contributing to these injuries. So there's a few few instances where we tried um, certain things to change my running style. But when I get tired, <laughs> when I get tired, I just refer back to what what's normal and what's comfortable, and that's the um, the shocking running style that you see most weekends.
2: What was your relationship as a young fella like with Mick Muldown? I was pretty.
1: To be honest, I was pretty dead and intimidated him by him in my first couple of years. And eventually, well, the senior coach starts talking to you when you when you start playing senior footy. So up from there on, and when I played my first few games, I think he, he sort of saw something in me and he, and he knew that sort of spot. Like I said, the halfback flank, he thought that was the best spot for me um, to reach my potential. And yeah, I've... I've um, I still keep in contact with Mick and that relationship grew, grew over over the years i spent with him and, and he was the, the coach at the Pies and then afterwards as well when, when he left, even when he went to Carlton, um, we still keep in contact and as I said, we still keep in contact to this, this day and he was one of the first to, to ring me after I got delisted from the Giants and, and even he said um, he thought that was a good idea by them. Um, he's always been someone who, who who said you you want to leave with something left in the tank, you don't want to be on empty and I had nothing else to prove in my footballing career and and he was a big big part of that and and we'll always have two thousand and ten and and then we'll always have the um the friendship that's grown over time and and Definitely look forward to, to catching up with him when I get back to, to Melbourne. Oh, I can
2: imagine. Great to get the encouraging call from Mick, soften on the blow, and then he turns around and says it was the right decision. You've got to love that. Um, <laughs> the side, though, would almost grew with you, didn't it, Heath? I mean, elimination final loss in 06, preliminary final loss in 07, another prelim loss in 09, and then came, of course, the great year that was 2010, where you're among the Pies' best players in both grand finals. First the draw. I mean I don't know what more can be said about the final minutes, but they were as tense as any game most people have ever seen. What was it like being out there? Is the memory as vivid now as it ever was?
1: Yeah, it is. It's it's that feeling and I think I got a glimpse of that feeling sort of last year when we were pl- when we played Brisbane up at the Gabba and, and Collingwood at the G and brought back memories of it's a little bit, especially when you're playing in the back line, that you don't want to make a mistake. So you're, you're concentrating fully on, on not making a mistake or you don't want to be the guy whose who's man kicks the winning goal for the opposition. So it's um it's as intense as like humanly possible. But the thrill that you get sort of after obviously a win and, and the, the sort of the shock that we got when we when we drew and the confusion around what was going to happen from then on. It was, yeah, it was a fairly intense sort of last quarter. And um, to be honest, if, if they played extra time, I think in that after the draw, then, then we would have been in big trouble. But on the flip side, coming back the next week, I, I couldn't have been more confident that we we're going to win.
2: And just on next week, the grand final replay, as it was, I mean that delivered. I guess ultimately, your the legacy moment of your career. How does the smother live on with you all these years on?
1: The unique thing because I'm going to be I'm, I'm going to be remembered for a few things. I think probably a unique character, getting in trouble off field, and and the smother. Um, I never thought in my footballing career I'd be remembered for something something like that and like a team act like that. But at the moment, you just do, you don't think about it, you just do it. And I was just, I was in the right place at the right time. And if it helped the team get through, and win that game maybe a little bit but to be honest like I said before we were we couldn't have been more confident going into that second grand final that we were going to win we, we knew we'd underperformed the week before and were lucky to get away with a draw and yeah the, the replay we were, we were very very confident and, and, and played accordingly
2: I do wonder how often you get asked about the smother in any given day or, or week or month but can you take us back to that moment can you bring us in there I mean most players would have given up on that chase assuming that uh, Nick Rewalt was going to put it in the row double Z but um, you persisted.
1: Interesting build up obviously. Um I'm pretty sure, actually ninety nine percent sure that um my player was involved in the in the chain um to get the ball to Nick Rewald inside fifty and down there by himself. So it was partly my fault. There's a little bit of guilt um there running back and it is a little bit of the it's a grand final where you put everything on the line. Um it's hard to say you can you can put anything more than you do everywhere but you know it, that game means so much, and it was it was in the first quarter, and um, you want to do everything in your power to to help the team win, and it was just a honestly, it was just a chase, and and you sort of just make your make your way there, just to know and to make sure they know that you haven't given up, and as I got closer and closer, I thought I was a bit of a chance and, and yeah, he, he took a little bit longer than he probably should have and, and wound up and yeah, just dribbled it over the line. He probably would have would have been um, a goal instead trying to kick it uh, into level three and that yeah, that opportunity opened up for me and, and the rest is history.
2: It's funny how things live on. I mean, you played your 300th last year. There was a tribute video that I think Nick politely rejected the invitation to be a part of and you know maybe have a bit of fun with the moment um, on that video, but what was a euphoric moment for you? Was a obviously a shocking moment for him have you ever spoken to him about it all these years on
1: no I don't I don't think he'd want, <laughs> he'd want to talk about something like that especially with the result of the game and and he obviously had an amazing career but the probably the one thing he'd he'd cash it all in for is for a premiership so mm. um we haven't really discussed that I know one of the coaches at the Giants Lenny Hayes I, I do if someone asks me about 210 or anything like that I, I sometimes forget that Lenny was he was on the receiving end as well so it's um it is a tough sort of Pill to swallow i think for for, for anyone who has finished a, a career like like those guys that haven't um, won a premiership and that's why I'm, I'm i'm very lucky to to do what i've done and, and been able to do that and, and that's the reason why i was very comfortable like finishing up and, and very comfortable i didn't have much more to achieve in my football career as much as i'd be always sort of the competitive competitive beast that i am you always think you can go around again or you, can, you always think you've got a little bit left
2: you're with this is your sporting life brought to you by tobin brothers funerals celebrating lives just visit tobinbrothers.com.au well after the break he sure has made headlines for much of his career but some of them have come from his off-field antics we'll revisit some of those after this break
0: you're listening to this is your sporting life with sam edmund for tobin brothers funerals celebrating lives Welcome back to This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives.
2: Hello, we hope you're enjoying this week's edition of This Is Your Sporting Life. We're chatting with much-loved Collingwood-turned GWS defender Heath Shaw. Well, Heath, your former captain at Collingwood, Nick Maxwell, once called you a maniac, but, I mean, you're a natural-born rogue, aren't you? Let's be honest.
1: Yeah, I think from a very young age, um, that was pretty evident. You can just ask my mum. Um <laughs> she'll support any, any form of um, any form of that sort of behaviour. And she had to deal with most of it throughout my um, junior sporting and, I suppose, schooling um, life as well. So a little bit different, a little bit out there. And, yeah, I suppose that's what made me the player I was in a way as well.
2: When were you diagnosed with OCD and ADHD? Was it from a young age or something that you discovered later on in the piece?
1: It was year eight that um, we... Well, mum sort of, as much as she was not hesitant about going to get tested, but had her reservations about it, got tested at the end of year eight and going into year nine, Um, got tested for ADD and, and... and come back that i had all the traits of someone who who has that and 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 from there on went on medication for for the next sort of three years um, of my schooling schooling life which again mum was very very reserved about doing she doesn't you don't really want to put your your child on any form of medication for something like that so it was a it was a tough um period i suppose in at my schooling i was i was a bit of a bit of trouble to deal with and the schooling part of it wasn't that great because as I was talking about before, sport was a priority and school was just, I was just there for the social aspect uh, more so than actually doing the work. So got myself into a bit of trouble and, and that's where getting tested for ADD sort of came about.
2: Yeah. And I mean, I guess people sort of half laugh about it now given the magnificent career that you've had, but I mean, it must've been really difficult at that age. I mean, you mentioned your mum, but just for you personally, um, you know, time heals or wounds, but well, I'm sure you had your tough moments there for a while
1: around the testing part um Probably the most worrying part for me was the fact that, because my schooling wasn't going great, that mum wanted to, and she'd thrown out the idea and spoken to the school about keeping me down a year, which um, was was fairly embarrassing. And and that's where I sort of thought, all right, we'll get we'll get the test done, we'll do that, but I don't want to I don't want to be kept down, I don't want to you know repeat a year. So um, that sort of straightened me up a little bit, um, along with the medication. But yeah, it was it was a little bit of a shock to the system when that was thrown out there, and obviously even I think most people with ADD or ADHD it's not that you deliberately go out there to do the wrong thing it's just that you don't think about it you just do it (laughs) so there's no thought process and the consequences it's just this seems like a good idea let's just do it I just did it and then worried about that um that later so yeah it was it was a little bit tough around there but I suppose I was only at a young age and I was, I was still growing up and and, mature and trying to mature and um, that sort of kick-started that a little bit. August
2: 2008, I'm sure it's a period that you remember not too fondly. Um, you crashed your car while drink driving and, and it was you and your teammate Alan Didak who were suspended for the rest of the season, which is a big penalty including finals. Um, you repeatedly told the club Didak wasn't in the car and then the truth inevitably came out. I don't know how many times you've been asked this question, Heath. Maybe uh, several million, but why did you lie?
1: It's pretty simple, mate. You just try to protect your mate. And obviously he wasn't driving. Um, He wasn't drink driving and he didn't crash the car. So for me, it was um, was sort of a no-brainer. And I know a lot of people probably won't want to hear this, but if I would probably do the same thing again if it ever got come down to being in that situation um because what you do is I've always like sort of been brought up and you 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 look after your mates and you and you got your mates back and um I just try to protect him and and in the end it went the other way so I didn't really that thought process wasn't that great and it, it didn't turn out the way that I would have um I suppose liked it but but yeah it was a, it was a that was a pretty tough time and I think you mentioned it before 27 I played 27 finals missed missed two finals that year cuz because um, of the suspension and, um, and again that's like something that was a, it was a pretty harsh penalty at the time but it sort of shapes you up and, and sort of straightens you up pretty quickly and you have to have to go up and accept what happened and, um, and then try and move forward.
2: Was that the angriest you'd ever seen Eddie?
1: Oh, we've I think a couple of games when we lost to Carlton he was pretty angry <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah that would have been that would have been right up there and I think it was yeah it was a tough it was a stupid decision. Um, it was a stupid mistake and and it and when you think about it and i think nick mentioned that um to me and, and did it's like you hurt it you hurt yourself you could have hurt someone else you miss out you, you're getting punished but you're actually punishing your, your, your teammates as well because they would love to have you out there playing.
2: If we fast forward to 2011, um, Heath, you, your pie's the second on the ladder, I think, going into a round nine game against Adelaide when uh, Mick Malthouse springs a surprise by telling the team that obviously the regular defender, Nick Maxwell, is going to play forward. What happened next for you?
1: Another another fairly um, smart decision by me. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it was, it was sort of, you know, it was like, I suppose... Betting on football and betting around football was um, a little bit, wasn't as strict as probably it is now. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so just having a little sneaky, sneaky 20 on Maxi at 100 to 1 or whatever he was paying to, to kick the first goal was um, was just, it, it was a bit of fun. It's not, obviously, if he had it got up, $2,000 isn't really life changing and it wasn't, my um, rule like we corrupting anything, but it, it was against the rules. And I was shocked, to be honest, that I obviously got caught. It's probably the worst bet I've ever put on. Put a twenty dollar bet on and lose twenty thousand is not ideal, um, and get suspended for eight weeks. So it's not the not the smartest bet I've ever put on. But again, yeah, if you, if you I suppose if you put yourself in a position to, um, and you do the wrong thing, then you're a chance of getting caught, whether it's one percent or ninety five percent. And yeah, again, that was it was devastating because obviously we were flying coming off the premiership and and our team was was humming along. And I remember sitting in the room next to the pals-to-be who were making the decision on what the punishment was going to be and 14 weeks got thrown up and I knew that was the whole season. Then negotiated down, I think, down to, to eight. Eight weeks suspended, which would mean I'd be able to play the first final, and yeah, the the non guarantee of being able to play that first final as well from from Mick, which was a, I think it was a bit of mind games from him um, to get me to work work hard and come back in in good shape was 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 hard, and and you never know. As as I said, the team was flying. I think we lost two games in the regular season, and to, to bring someone in who hasn't played in eight weeks after the team's been performing so well, it it would be a big call. And um, lucky enough, I got to play. Played pretty reasonably and um, we made the grand final but fell short.
2: Yeah, and obviously on the night itself that um, he did play forward Nick Maxwell, the late John McCarthy ended up kicking the first goal anyway. I think if I can ask a cheeky question, is that something that you thought when the game was on that bugger it. He hasn't even snagged the first one.
1: Yeah, well, I think during the game I definitely thought about that because um, when the first goal goes, you know, um, if, and Maxie was starting there and obviously the when usually he's standing beside you, you, you sort of look out for him and he was down the other end, so in the heat of the moment, probably not, but then once that first goal is like, oh, well, it didn't work out and then I think it was a couple of weeks later that it all, all came about and, yeah, it was an ideal timing, but again, that's another another thing that I've learned from and, and I suppose Kicked me into gear of, I oh, suppose, maturing a little bit more, and I think everyone has certain things throughout their lives and their careers that they learn from, or they've um, had something which, that's that's tested them um, a fair bit, and that was definitely one of them in in terms of footballing. But um, it was hard in the in the in the off field sense because still training, still doing everything normally, but suppose in Melbourne in the bubble, walking down the street, and even to this day, still get a little couple of sledges about. Um, I'm um, putting bets on on football. That's for sure.
2: <laughs> <laughs> hey, they never let you forget, do they? But I mean, no, we all—you're 100 percent right. We all mature, of course. i, I wonder whether the Heath Shore of 2008 or even 2011 would have thought the Heath Shore of 2020 would have a fondness for antiques and duck ragu and a love of red wine. I
1: don't think I don't think in 2008 I'd ever tasted a red wine. So yeah, it is. It is. It's. It's. It's come. I suppose I've come full circle, and I think I have matured over time. And, and even um, an angry man leaving Collingwood um, to to being where I am now after seven years at the Giants, I think it's 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 definitely been a process of well, 17 years of, of football, but 17 years of learning and 17 years of um, understanding um, my faults, and and then and then I suppose maturing, and then and then at the same breath teaching what was at the start a very young Giants team and teaching um then that it's, it's okay to make mistakes but um probably don't do them to the extreme of of what i did but and um but then again you just learn from everything so it's 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 been a like i said it's been a great journey and um it's only sort of a little part of i suppose my whole life but it's been a really really big part of my life today
2: we're chatting to heath shaw on this is your sporting life all thanks to Tobin brothers funeral celebrating lives we'll be back shortly to wrap up with heath who has had front row seats to the rise of the GWS Giants.
0: You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Sam Edmund for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Welcome back to This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives.
2: It's been great to have your company here on this is your sporting life. Thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals, a family-owned business since 1934. Decorated defender Heath Shaw has been our guest today. Well, Heath, at the end of the 2013 season, it's your ninth at Collingwood. You are traded to GWS for Taylor Adams. You're only 26. You're in contract, and the Pies are even willing to pay a percentage of your salary to go to the Giants. Did it hurt?
1: Yeah, it was. Um, I oh, suppose that was. A... A big shock to the system. As much as the the rumours around me, Collingwood wanting to trade me and all that, I just sort of thought, nah, I'm I'm a, a good enough player. They can't, they wouldn't want to trade me, um, sort of thing. So um, when it actually came about and when it actually um, I was told, I suppose that they wanted to trade me, it was it was more shock to start with, and then I sort of went through the process, a bit of anger. And then a little bit of what's next and then what am I going to do sort of thing. So it was a, it was an interesting time. And, and, and like I said, I was a, I suppose that year wasn't ideal for me. I was was a bit of an angry man that year and wasn't playing as good as I would have liked. And I suppose the, the relationship with the coach wasn't ideal and, and all of the above and it all, all contributed and, and, I, and I did did leave Collingwood to go to the Giants as an angry man but knew as soon as I stepped into this new club that I had to get over that and, and move forward and, 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 and change my ways in, in a way as well.
2: So as you sit here now and I think at around that time you said you, you went on the record to say you wanted to stay at Collingwood forever do you have a, a solider grasp as you possibly can over why the trade happened and was it all down to the relationship with Bucks or was, it, was there more to it than that?
1: Well definitely played a big part in that that. And, and I suppose an additional part of that is the the impact that um, me not necessarily agreeing with or uh, being a distraction to the rest of the team as well, um, which I which I understand now, probably didn't back then, um, but definitely understand now. And um, the relationship wasn't great, and and the way that the communication between myself and Bucks wasn't ideal, and, and then. If that's done in front of young players, it's done in front of any players, it's not ideal for the group. So um, I can understand why the trade sort of came about now, but at the time, I was obviously blaming the club and, and blaming Bucks for everything.
2: And what's it like now with you and he? I mean, have you sought to repair or re-establish a relationship, or it just uh, hasn't got to that?
1: No, it doesn't. It hasn't got to that. But um, oh, to be honest, it's it's yeah, it's been it's been seven years, and I think I've I've grown and matured and um, sort of understood a little bit more. Um, what I was like and and how how I could it could get to that point um, doesn't necessarily. I mean, I think it was a right idea because I'll never admit I'm wrong, even when I am wrong, um, yeah. as you can see on the football field. Um, but yeah, no, we haven't. It hasn't been um, something that I've. I've felt the need to do or felt the need to repair or anything like that so it's it's just sort of been left as it is if walk past and see him I've seen him in a few functions it's shake of the hand and how you going and and sort of move forward.
2: So you go to a giant side that has won one game the season prior what did you find when you got there Heath?
1: Um, Local footy club environment in a um, professional um, system so it, it had the feel of a local football club. It had the like the facilities weren't finished when I when I got there. We were sort of hopping around all over the place. Athletic, under athletics track, doing weights we down the street, um, training at an oval, and um, that was my first sort of pre-season. I was like, I've gone from what was then the the Lexus Centre to uh, an athletics track. I'm like, what have I done? But then once that sort of sort of season started, I sort of understood what the what the group was about, what the team was about, and the drive for them to win and to get better was always there and which was it was sort of refreshing for me um for as you said for a team that won one game the year before but knowing that made it made it a lot easier and I actually as much as we won six games I think it was my first year I think we got flogged by 100 points three or four times I still enjoyed that year it was one of my most enjoyable years because I got to live like a 21 year old again up in Sydney (laughs) Um, I got to um play with a brand new team and, and make history and, and play some pretty reasonable football and then enjoy sort of all the, the little things you take for granted when you um, are part of a big organisation or when you're part of um, a winning team. And it was sort of like going back to the future a little bit from when I when I got drafted and Collingwood were out of the finals and, and we slowly built our way up into a, a team that won a premiership. I think the, the Giants journey was very, very similar, but it just came a bit quicker, which was which was good.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, I was going to say a bit like the pies. The the Giants grow, you know, upon year upon year after your arrival until you get to a crazy year. The twenty sixteen season, the preliminary final against the Dogseath. I mean, that's probably uh, considered or widely considered one of the greatest games of the modern era. You lose by a kick at home. Your opponent, Tory Dixon, kicks four. Did that sting as much as any loss that you didn't uh, had in your career?
1: Yeah, it, um, yeah, it did. It was it was sort of. It was hard. It's hard to sort of explain. I was, I was I'm usually pretty good at getting over like a loss. It takes me like an hour, even sometimes in the final, like finals losses, um, it takes like an hour to get over it because you're like, well, it's done now, you move on. But that one took a long time to actually get over. Um, definitely didn't watch the grand final the, the the week after that. Knew that I underperformed after having a really, really good year um, up to then, um, underperformed on on. On that day, Um, I wasn't up to to standard and and I contributed to a loss that was sort of, in a way, it was sort of described as as ours to lose Um, and and as we saw, the Bulldogs went on to win the premiership, so that that was sort of salt in the wounds a little bit and um, it hurt rolling into the next year, that's for sure.
2: Mm. And, And looking back on last year's grand final, I mean, Lockie Whitfield's appendix, Phil Davis, with last-minute fitness tests, that that incredible prelim final win over Collingwood the week before. Looking back, did you feel that you had anything more to give against Richmond? I think,
1: I suppose the previous two years, we, we were very unlucky um, when it came about like injuries throughout the year and everything, mm. and we, we managed to get through that. Um, and we probably didn't have as many injuries as, as as that in 2019, but that sort of few weeks, it all sort of piled up, and didn't really go to plan. Um, I think we we played three huge weeks. First game against the Bulldogs, which was a massively physical and aggressive game, um, which we came out on top, but still takes its toll. Um, go up to Brisbane underdogs and, and then sort of grind away um, a pretty hard-fought wind away from home. Um, against a pretty good opponent, and and obviously then you ride the high into the next week, going into a prelim, and just you sort of you're on a roll, and you just roll with it, and, and same sort of thing. It was like seven minutes, I think, in the last quarter. I think the ball spent most of the time in in Collingwood's forward fifty, and to, mm. to just get over the line there, it it was like we we could have gone about two ways. to like understand where we're at, or just ro- roll with it, and, and we definitely roll with it. And a few injuries, and um, you can look back afterwards and say we would, were would definitely spent. We come up against a really good team. Um, we had a few excuses on why we didn't perform to the best of our ability, but it's not it's not an eighty point loss. So um, had to go off to them, but hats go off to to be honest to the the team to actually get to a grand final, um, and the way we got there as well. And um, I think I was as much as we lost by eighty odd points in a grand final, I was very proud of our team to to do what we did from where we were um, in two thousand nineteen.
2: Yeah. And before we finish up, I guess I've got to ask you, assuming the AFL career doesn't continue as you you suspect, what does the immediate future hold for you? What are you going to do with your life? Well,
1: 2020 is not ideal. Um, I was planning on, um, obviously, spending a bit of time with family um, back in Melbourne and then um, probably around the time of the season kicking off for 2021, going overseas and spending some time overseas and um, taking a bit of a gap year of... I've already messaged my me mate Swanee, he's, he's the expert at the gap year, he's still living his gap year from <laughs> um, from when he retired, so um, got some advice from him, just spending a bit of time overseas, and just just sort of getting away from football, because I, I have done it for, for 17 years, and um, it's something that I was so used to, and I, I want to do something that I'm, I'm not used to, and, and get out of that comfort zone a little bit, and um, enjoy life, enjoy, I suppose, the, the scary part is... Um, not having a routine around football and, and not having that comfort of of knowing where you're going to be every day, <laughs> every week, and and what you're doing on the weekend. So it's something that I'm actually um, a little bit scared about, but a little bit excited about doing that. And I'm just going to have to do that yeah. from Australia. Um, definitely going to spend a bit of time visiting some wineries all around the nation if we can if they open up the borders. But um, like I said, spend a bit quality time with, with family and um, and friends and the people who I've missed out on since I've. I suppose, been in Sydney for, for seven years.
2: And you just mentioned Dane Swan there, who was, of course, a member of the infamous uh, Rat Pack with yourself, Alan Didak, Ben Johnson, Chris Tarrant. Just a couple of Rat Pack questions. Who was the best Rat Packer on the field and off the field?
1: Probably, I'd say the off-field is probably like Swan. He's obviously the front and centre there, the most popular um, off the field like close second would be Ben Johnson who goes, who slips under the radar, which means he's, he's more, he's a bit dodgier than Swanee and gets away with a lot more. Um, and on the field, obviously we, the good thing about the Rat Pack is it, it wasn't, um, I suppose a bunch of guys that were average players that just got into, to trouble. It was actually pretty quality bunch of, of footballers. Um, and we prep, we pride ourselves on training hard, playing hard, and then obviously partying hard. Um, but yeah, look, look at the careers of most of those guys and you know, they've all played over two hundred games. So so on the field I reckon obviously Swanny Swanee was the one who won the Brown mode, but um there's no doubt the Rat Pack uh, contributed to to him getting that and um I think everyone pride themselves on, on playing on the weekend, but it's just that we enjoyed ourselves probably a bit too much on the on the um after the game.
2: I love it. I love it. Hey sure it's been great to chat today. I mean, you're a natural footballer with natural instincts who so... Made a real name for yourself as a wholehearted competitor. You're a fan favourite at two clubs. You left nothing out on the field, and your resume at the end of 16 seasons is certainly testament to that. Thanks so much for joining us today.
1: No worries, boys. Thanks for having me.
2: You've been listening to the best of This Is Your Sporting Life, made possible by Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. We'll catch you next week for an absolute treat for Australian football fans. We'll revisit that magical night, November 2005 in Sydney, and two of the key players... John Aloisi and Craig Foster on the night that the Socceroos qualified for the 2006 World Cup.
0: Want to witness the world's biggest football
2: game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semi-finals. all thanks to McDonald's. Makers together and loving it. TNCs apply.